Please remain standing. We're going to read some scripture together. Today we'll be in Genesis chapter 6. The words will be on the screen. You can reflect as I read for us. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and, fi and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower and second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds and of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded Good morning, church family. Everybody can go ahead and have a seat. Sorry to interrupt your conversations. It's great to hear everybody catching up and meeting for the first time. I want to welcome you this morning to Northwest Community Church. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're new with us, if this is your first time, we're especially glad that you're here. I want to kind of uh, piggyback off what David was talking about a second ago. So the ESL class, I think, is a really cool opportunity. Um, you know, one of the things that we think as a church family, that if we are a community, if we're a community where God is really working among us, if we're a community that's bearing fruit, I think one of the main ways, one of the primary ways that that's going to bear fruit is by, in this area, having Hindu and Buddhists and atheist people hearing the gospel. And, you know, I was a, a missionary in China for 13 years, 
And we were re- reaching people on the other side of the world that hadn't heard about Jesus before. And we had the opportunity right here in our backyard to reach, like David says, some of the nations who have come to, to us. I was talking to a, a guy yesterday, a Chinese man, who his wife, back in 2014, traveled to America. And while she was in America, she met some Americans and they shared the gospel with her. And she went back home to, to China, shared the gospel with him, and now their whole family is, is believers and they're looking to go into ministry. And so these are the people that we'll have the chance to meet. Um, these people that who knows what God's going to do in their life. So I, I really encourage you, if you have free time on Tuesday or Thursday morning, to, to check that out. It's a really non-threatening, really easy entry way to start building relationships with people from other parts of the world that have, that have different worldviews. Um, so we've been in the book of Genesis, our series Snake Crusher Wanted for the past several weeks. I want to start this morning by telling you about something that happened in my house uh, a few weeks ago. So about a month ago, there was a problem with our dishwasher. And our dishwasher just started to, to leak water. It just kind of got all over the, the hardwood floors and the kitchen and the dining room. And so we, we called this, this guy to come and take a look at it. And I, clearly there was some water damage, but wasn't sure how bad it was. And uh, so the guy looks at it, and he has one of these, these things. It was about the size of a phone. And if you're a, a handy man or a, a handy woman, maybe you've seen one of these things before, or you've used one of these things. It's like, a, it's like a sensor that could tell the water saturation level in the, in the hardwood floors. And so he first took a reading kind of like over here on the other side of the room where there hadn't been any water damage. And it was like, I don't know, it was like 10%, 5% water saturation. So it's fine. Then he comes over to the area that was damaged by the, the dishwasher. And he takes his little little sensor, and uh, it didn't beep or anything. It would have been cool if it did, but uh, beep, beep, beep. But he just kind of touches it to it, and it's uh, 99% water saturation. Okay, and uh, I am not a handyman, but I hear that uh, if it was 100%, it wouldn't be uh, hardwood floors. It would be a pool. So that was as bad as it could get. And so, so I'm over there, and I ask him, like, well, what, what do we need to do? And, I mean, I'm thinking, maybe we can just open some windows up. We can get a few fans out, you know, uh, let this air out for a couple days, and it'll be good to go, right? And he says, uh, man, I'm sorry, these floors, these floors are ruined. These floors are, are, are ruined. Um, if you want to preserve the value of the house, the only thing you can do is to, to rip them out and then replace them with, with new floors. And so today we're talking about the story of, of Noah, Noah and the ark, okay? And we're looking at the story of Noah. We're taking two weeks to look at Noah. Today we're talking about God's judgment on the people in Noah's time. And the second and, and the next week, we're gonna be talking about God's salvation of, of Noah and his family and the animals who are with him in the ark. And the reason I bring up this story is, is that basically what we have here in Genesis 6 through 9, in Genesis 6 specifically, that we're talking about today, we have God evaluating the world that he's made. God's looking out at humanity, at his creation, almost like he kind of has his, his sensor, like his, his, evil, his uh, evil saturation sensor. And he's kind of pointing this sensor at the world, and it's 100% evil saturation. And just like the guy with the floors, the only thing that God 
can do is to get rid of the evil and get rid of the evil people and then start over. Now, as we're talking about God's judgment, I don't know how you respond emotionally when I kind of talk about God judging and God uh, having to remove people because they're being evil or they're disobeying him. But, but here's the thing. Um, I would guess that all of us, there's somebody in the world that you think the world would be a better place if that person did not exist. Let's be honest, okay? There's somebody in the world that you think this world would be a better place if that person didn't exist. And maybe for you, the people that come to mind, it's, uh, may maybe it's something pretty extreme. Maybe it's like, man, if Vladimir Putin, if Vladimir Putin didn't exist, like so many people would have been saved, right? This world would be a better, and I've talked to Russian and Ukrainian nationals who say, man, I, I, wish, I wish God would just get rid of them, right? Maybe for you, it's uh, abortion doctors, Maybe it's uh, sex traffickers. Maybe it's white supremacists or it's racists or it's people that, uh, that abuse their spouses. Um, there's, there's somebody in the world that you think this world would be a better place. You're kind of pointing that evil censor at them and you're like, this, this person, this world would be a better place without them. But what we're talking about today is that as we do that, what happens when God actually points the evil censor at me or at you and we realize actually I'm part of the problem? Okay, that's what we're talking about today. So turn with me to Genesis chapter six and I'll pray for us as we do. Heavenly Father, we love you and God, I know this is a, this is a, hard, this is a hard passage today. This is a passage about your judgment, and I know that there's so many different stories in this room, and hearing about your judgment can be, can be hard. It can be painful, but God, I, we, we trust in you that you are, are good all the time, and that everything that's in your word is something that we need to hear, and so God, I ask that you would just open our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to understand your word, help us to believe it, help us to obey it and help us to be able to teach it to others as well. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Genesis chapter six, we're talking about three things today. First thing we're talking about is our sin, then we're gonna look at God's judgment, which is God's response to human sin, and then third, we're gonna look at our response to our sin and God's judgment. So our sin, God's judgment, and then our response. So first of all, let's take a look at our sin. So again, God's looking down at the world, this world that he's created, he's designed to be this beautiful, harmonious, fruitful, abundant, joyful, wonderful place. He's looking at it and he's, he's evaluating it. Look at what it says that God sees in verse six. It says, or uh, I'm sorry, in verse five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Okay, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? God's saying the evil saturation rate is 100. So the first thing we learned about sin here, talking about our sin, two things I wanna tell you about sin. First of all, we see where does sin begin? 
Sin begins in the heart. Sin begins in the heart. Look at what it says, that God saw that every intention of the thoughts of the heart of man is only evil continually. And I hope you see the the irony here, that the whole problem of sin and death and suffering, it started because what? Because Adam and Eve, they didn't want to accept God's definition of good and evil and eat from the tree of life. They wanted to define good and evil for themselves and eat from, by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what we're seeing here is that over the past multiple generations, what happens when men and women do what is right in their eyes, what's good in their eyes, instead of doing what's right in God's eyes? What happens when we try to define good and evil for ourselves instead of accepting and obeying God's definition of good and evil? What becomes nothing but evil. Everything becomes evil. Now, this word evil, this, maybe this seems a little bit harsh to you. You might think, I mean, surely there, there must have been some tender family moments, right? Like, surely, surely they would, like, tuck their kid into bed. Surely there was some shred of compassion. Surely they weren't always only, like, killing each other, right? And it's really important here that we understand God's definition of evil, okay? In, in, uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus is called by somebody listening to him, he's called good teacher. He's called good teacher. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's nobody good but God. Nobody's good except God. So God's definition of evil, the definition of evil that we find in the Bible, it doesn't mean that you're as bad as you could possibly be. It doesn't mean that all of the terrible, horrible things that you could possibly think of, you've all done or you all are going to do, that you're as evil and twisted as you could possibly be. In the Bible, what God means by evil is that it's not that you're as bad as you could possibly be, but that you're not what God created you to be. You're not what God created you to be. He created us to be kings and queens, ruling over his world in partnership with him according to his will and we're not what we were created to be. And this leads us to a definition of sin also. Sin is basically just this, a really simple definition of sin. Sin is believing and acting like I know better than God. Believing and acting like I know better than God. Isn't this how all sin starts? With Adam and Eve, it started with they're enjoying all of God's goodness, and then in their heart, they start doubting God. And they start thinking, you know, God says, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, hey, let me handle that. I've got that. I don't know if that's actually good. I think it might be better if I had the controls in my life. And all of us, in one way or another, have made this decision of saying, well, when it's convenient, I'll obey God. But when my definition of good and evil conflicts with God's definition of good and evil, we end up doing what we think is good, but what God says and what actually ends up being ultimately evil. So that's the first thing we see about human sin is that it begins in the heart. Every sin begins in the heart. But the second thing that we see, and look at verse 11, says the second thing we'll see is that sin hurts others. So sin begins in the heart, and sin hurts others. Verse 11 says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, 
and the earth was filled with violence. It was corrupt, and it says it was filled with violence. What's that talking about? Well, a second ago, we saw that they have evil intentions of their hearts. They think that they know better than God, and they act like they know better than God. And what does that cause us to do? It causes us to, to have violence, to hurt each other. They're committing adultery, and they're beating each other, and they're oppressing each other, and they're killing each other, and they're defrauding each other, and things like that. And there's a, there's a saying that's very popular and very common today where we like to think, you know, basic morality, right? Do whatever you want to as long as you're not hurting somebody. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem is that, first of all, human beings are notoriously terrible judges of the consequences our actions have on other people. And the second problem with that is that whenever we sin, it's hurting somebody. All of our sin, whether it's in our heart, whether it's in our words, whether it's in our action, all sin ultimately ends up hurting other people. This is why Jesus says, you know, if, you're, if you're harboring hatred and bitterness and anger in your heart, then, then you're a murderer. If you're harboring lust in your heart, then, then you're committing adultery. That these sins that we have in our heart are just as real, and ultimately they're going to come out in one way or another to hurt people around us. You can't, you can't treat people like pieces of meat that you can lust after or that you can just shout at or, or beat up or do horrible things to in your mind without that affecting the way you treat them and you talk to them and you interact with them or you pray for them or you don't pray for them out in life. Whatever's in our heart is going to come out, and if we are harboring sin in our heart, it's going to cause us to not treat other people like people who are worthy of dignity, people who are worthy of love, people who are worthy of respect the way we should. Okay, so sin begins in the heart, and sin always ends up hurting others. Now, here's the thing. When we read this, it's very, it would be very easy for us to say, man, they must have been so terrible back then. It must have been so, I mean, what must life have been like for God to say, for God to say that everybody's evil, the whole world has corrupted itself, and that the, the thoughts and the intentions of their heart are only evil all the time? Well, the problem is, that's kind of what God says about us, too. That's what God says about me, and that's what God says about you as well. I mentioned before when somebody asked Jesus or when somebody calls Jesus good teacher, he says, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God. In Romans 3, it says, uses actually very similar language as God does describing the people in Noah's time to describe all people. It says that there's nobody who's righteous. There's nobody who's good. There's nobody who seeks God. That all of us have turned aside and become worthless and become evil. When Jesus is talking about prayer once, he's, he's talking about how, you know, we come to God like a father, and he says, if you, as an earthly father, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your, will your good heavenly father know how to bless you when you seek him? So what is he saying that we are? He's saying that we're evil. And again, that's where you've got that little kind of evil saturation sensor, all of a sudden it's kind of, oh, wait a minute, it's pointing at me. And I'm actually part of the problem. Well, that's the first thing we see. We see God's judgment. The second thing that we see 
or the first thing we see is our sin. The second thing we're going to see is God's judgment. And we're going to see God's judgment. Look at how God responds to human sin and human evil. Look at verse 6. It says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So when we think about God's judgment, we often think of God, this is the best image I could come up with, so I'm sorry, it's kind of strange, but have you guys seen The Simpsons before? You know Homer Simpson? You know what I'm talking about? There's this scene that would come up over and over again. He has this, Homer's the dad, and he has his son Bart. And uh, whenever Bart does anything that kind of makes Homer upset, what does he do? He goes, well, why you little? And then he grabs him by the neck and, 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 and does that to him. And sometimes it's, Bart doesn't even give him a reason to do it. He just kind of is mad, and he wants to take his frustration out on somebody. And I think sometimes that's how we think about God. As if God's just kind of sitting here waiting for us to do anything in the world to annoy him. Like, oh, you're not going to do what I said. Oh, you're going to disobey me. Then why are you little? And then, and, and then like that. But that's not, look at what it's saying. That's not the picture that we get of God, this angry father who's just trying to take his frustration out on somebody. What is God like in this verse? He's heartbroken. He's absolutely heartbroken. This word regret, it doesn't mean that God changed his mind or that he said, oh, I'm such an idiot, I can't believe I did that. This word heart, this word uh, regret, it, it literally means just to feel intense anguish or sorrow like you do when you lose a loved one and you're mourning a loved one. God's looking at his world and, and he's heartbroken. So here's a, here's a better analogy, I think. Imagine you were a small business owner. Imagine you had a passion project that became a small business that you started out of your garage and you put all of your, your time and your money and your energy into it and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and eventually you're able to hire employees and you're doing some real good for the community. It's something that you're super fulfilled by and passionate about and after a few years, you've built this, this kind of medium-sized company where Number one, you're, you're being able to have a huge benefit to the community, but you also have all these employees that their livelihood de depends on this company, right? So imagine that you started this small business and now you're the owner of the business. Now imagine that you had hand-selected your first ever employee to, be, to, to raise him up and to train him up so he could join you to run the company as a partner. And, and you mentor this person, you put all of your, your, your heart and soul into trying to train this person and help them become a better leader. And then you put them in the position, okay, this person's a partner with me, now it's not just me running the company, it's me and, and this person. And then imagine they start abusing the employees, embezzling money, from the company, they start spreading horrible, slanderous lies about you. They start sabotaging the company from the inside out and you talk to them, you talk to them, that you talk to them and it just gets worse and they're getting in fist fights in the hallway and they're making inappropriate comments about people and they're creating conflict in the team. What would you ultimately end up doing? You would be heartbroken, wouldn't you? You'd be heartbroken 
but you'd have to get rid of them. Not because you're a cruel, evil, mean person, but because you're just, because you're good, and you care about the people that are in this company that you've created, and you care about the benefit this company can be to the community, so it's out of your love, out of your goodness, you would say, hey, this breaks my heart, but I have to get rid of this person. They're not the partner that I thought they would be. And that's what God is doing here. He wanted human beings to partner with him to rule over his world. But instead, we sabotaged his good world. And so the only thing that he can do, even though it breaks his heart, it grieves him, is to get rid of it. And look at what it says he's going to do in verse, in verse 7. In verse 7, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Okay, and again, don't picture God with the kind of a, a cruel grin on his face. This is God weeping, saying this is, what, this is what has to happen. So what God is saying here, this word blot out, he says I'll blot out. This is the word for like a race. Like if you have something written on a whiteboard and you just, you just wipe it out. God's saying we need a full factory reset here. We have to tear this up and, and, and start over. It's not because God's giving up on humanity. It's because he's so committed to humanity partnering with him that he can't allow this to continue and, and to ruin it all. So God says he's going to wipe out all of humanity from the face of the earth. And he says he's going to do that through a flood, through a flood. Look at verse 17. He says, for behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Okay, so when we think flood, this is not a couple of inches of water in your basement. Um, if you've seen the movie uh, Deep Impact, how many of you have seen that movie? Asteroid hits the earth and creates this tidal wave. And there's this scene where there's some people who are standing on the beach and looking out, and there's just this, it looks like this 200-foot-high black wall out there. And they're like, what's that? And it comes towards them and comes towards them and comes towards them. And then finally they realize this is the tidal wave. And then it just, it washes over everything and just wipes out the complete city. When we think of flood, this isn't six inches of water in the basement. This is that type of tidal wave, hurricane type of situation. This is a, this is a disaster. And again, the problem here is that there's lots of people that you might think, okay, they're the floorboards that might need to be torn up and thrown out. They're the person that needs to be kicked out of God's universe. They're the ones who need to be wiped off the face of the earth from the flood. But the problem is, like I said, when that censure starts getting pointed at me, I'm just as bad. And God says, in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about when he's going to return. And Jesus says when he returns, he compares it to the days of Noah. He says, just like in the days of Noah, people were going about their lives, but then God showed up and he judged the world and he wiped out all of the evil and the wickedness and the evildoers, right? He says, in the same way, Jesus says, when I come back, 
that's what I'm gonna do. You're not gonna know what's gonna happen. You're not gonna know when it's gonna happen. I'm gonna show up, it's gonna be a surprise, and I'm gonna wipe out all evil and all evildoers from the world. Okay, so we're evil, we're sinful, just like the people in Noah's time, and we're facing God's judgment, just like the people in Noah's time are facing God, we're facing God's judgment as well. You know, so as I think about this passage, I wonder how you sort of respond to it. Maybe you're here and you're, you're not a Christian. You wouldn't call yourself a disciple of Jesus. Or maybe you're a, a deconstructing Christian. Maybe you're trying to figure out, hey, I know my parents believe this, but am I gonna believe this too? I'm not so sure. Maybe you have a question in your mind kind of like this. Maybe you're thinking, and I've heard this question before, why would I want to believe in a God who's going to judge people and punish them for not believing in him? Why would I want to believe in a God who destroys people with a flood? Why do I want to believe in a God? Why would I want to believe in a God that would send people to hell if they don't believe in him? And I get it. I get it. It's a really tough thing to wrap our mind around, but think about this. One pastor says it this way, I think it's very helpful. If God were not a God of judgment, see, we, we love the God of, of love, we want God to be a God of love, but when God starts talking about his judgment, we get uncomfortable. This pastor says, if God was not a God of judgment, there would be no hope for the world. There'd be no hope for the world. Is that right? If God were not a God of judgment, there would be no hope for the world because evil that's in all of us is gonna continue and continue and continue and grow and grow and grow. And eventually one day, somebody that has their finger on that nuclear bomb button, somebody's gonna be having a bad day and then all of us die, right? If God was not a God of judgment who wipes away evil from the earth, there would be no hope for the world. But here's the problem. If God is a God of judgment, then there's no hope for me. Because, again, boop, 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 boop. Who's the person that is evil? Who's the person that, apart from Christ, is a sinner that needs, that deserves God's judgment? It's me, and it's you, and it's, and it's all of us, right? So that's the predicament we find ourselves in if God is not a God of judgment, then all of the evil that we see that we know needs to be getting rid of is just gonna continue to grow and fester forever. But if he is, what's gonna happen to us? Well, as I think about for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, how do you respond to this teaching about Noah and the flood? I believe Again, imagine that 100-foot wall of water just coming towards you and just washing over you, just absolutely washing over you. When we read this story about human sin, about God's judgment, it should be like that tidal wave washes over us and just obliterates all of our pride. As if our pride just gets washed away just like it was some kind of beach ball sitting there when the tsunami came through. 
just think about this. In a few minutes, we're going we're gonna to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to do, do it a little bit different than we've done it in the past. And I'll give instructions and direction for that in a second. But think about what communion means. We've got the bread and we've got the juice, the bread that symbolizes the body of Jesus and the juice that symbolizes the blood of Jesus. And the reason we do this is to remember that for us as Christians, this is not a group of people that get together and hang out and high five each other because we're so much better than everybody out there. No, Christians are a group of people who we all come together and agree that each and every single one of us, apart from Christ, is evil and deserves God's judgment. And the only hope, if God's the God of judgment, what hope is there for me? The only hope is that God sent his son Jesus to the earth, and just like I deserve to be wiped off the face of the planet, Jesus was wiped off the face of the planet for me to forgive my sins, to make up for all the wrong things that I've done and that you've done, all of the evil intentions of our heart. And then Jesus, he rose from the dead so that if any of us put our faith in him, not only does he wipe away all of our guilt, not only does God's judgment get poured out on Jesus instead of on us, he actually sends his spirit inside of us so that if we trust in Jesus, as we walk with Jesus, the spirit of God inside of us, it starts to change us from the inside out. So that guess what? We actually start thinking and acting like God knows better than we do. And before you know it, those same situations, those same temptations, those same people that frustrate you, those same temptations to lust, the same jealousy, whatever it is, all of a sudden that thing that seemed good in your eyes, because God says it's evil in his eyes, you start believing and thinking and acting like, okay, if God said this is evil, it must be evil. If God said this is good, this must be good, and I'm going to believe that even if it contradicts what, what I think, right? So this should just wipe away all of our pride, every single last bit of our pride. Well, what do I mean by that? I mentioned at the beginning that we love to just kind of take this evil sensor, this sin sensor around and point it at everybody else, point it at politicians, point it at our siblings, point it at our parents, point it at our kids, point it at people that believe different things than we do, point it at, at terrorists, point it at, at, at dictators, stuff like that. And we do that a lot. And it's very easy to have this idea that like, yeah, God, that's right. Oh, God, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here to judge the, judge the world. There certainly are some people here that need to be taken care of. I've got some names for you. It's so easy for us to have that attitude where we're just kind of taking that sin sensor and pointing at everybody else. We said, oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. God, come down here. You've got some work to do. And what we're talking about today is that when we do that to other people, we're actually doing it to ourselves, and that we're in the same boat. Somehow, you know, I think how this comes out, have you heard the saying, hate the sinner and love the sin? I just talking the other way around. <laughs> okay, let's go home. Yeah, have a good Sunday. <laughs> hate the sin, oh, what is it? Say it with me. Hate the sin and love the sinner. Hate the sin and love the sinner. Okay, 
Hate the sin and love the sinner. I think here's the problem, though. I think I, and maybe you too, are so busy hating other people's sin that we forget to love our fellow sinners. And there's one author and writer that puts it this way. I think this is really helpful. He says, okay, how about instead of, try to get it right this time, hate the sin and love the sinner, what if instead we said, love everybody, hate my own sin, and let's all just pursue and follow Jesus together? How about that? So do you have anything in your heart that feels like, yeah, God, get those bad people over there without maybe realizing that the bad people that need to be gotten are not just that person in your mind, it's the person that's sitting in, in your seat. And it's the person that's holding this microphone. Again, it just takes our pride and just demolishes it. It absolutely demolishes it. The second thing that I think sometimes can be a result of pride or a fruit of pride is kind of like this. Maybe you're coming in here today, and again, everybody has a different story. I have stuff that I struggle with. You have stuff that, that, that you struggle with. But maybe this week, in your mind, however you define it, you're like, this has been a bad week. This has been a tough week. Maybe there's some things that you know that you should do that you haven't done. Maybe there's some things that you know you shouldn't do that you have done. Maybe this week you feel like you've been a terrible mother or a terrible father, or you've been really selfish, you've lost your temper, you've looked at pornography. Maybe whatever it is that you struggle with, maybe you've messed up in that way. Maybe you said, hey, this is the, this is the year, 2023, I'm gonna be consistent with my Bible reading, and you haven't been. It's so easy to come to, to come to communion. When we take Jesus's body, when we, we eat the bread and we drink the juice, it's so easy, it's so easy for us to feel like, man, I've just gotta try harder. I didn't earn it this week. So you feel guilty and you feel ashamed of taking communion this week, but you think, you know, gosh darn it, next time this comes around, I will have done better. I'm gonna try harder. And guys, this is why I would say, as I'll invite the band to come out as we prepare to transition into a time of communion, this is why I would say, if you hear this message, if you read Genesis chapter six, if you feel like you're getting a pep talk today, if what you feel, if your reaction to this is like, yeah, okay, I've got to do better. I've got to try harder. I need to, you know, less, less evil, more good, right? If that's what you get out of this, if this feels like a pep talk, you're totally missing the point. You're totally misunderstanding what Genesis 6 is all about and what following Jesus is all about and what communion is all about. Because we don't come to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, I screwed up this week. Next week, I'll try harder. Please give me another chance. We come to Jesus confidently and boldly. We come to Jesus knowing that there's nothing we could ever do that however hard we try, we've been corrupted by evil in our hearts. That apart from him, 
we're sinners that deserve God's judgment, that deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth. But because Jesus has been wiped off the face of the earth for us, we can come and we can take the bread and the juice and we seem reminded that we are apart from Christ, we're more evil and sinful than we ever feared, but in Christ, we're more loved and accepted and forgiven and delighted in than we ever dared hope. And that the only hope we have for being a part of the spreading of God's kingdom on the world instead of the spread of evil, it's not by trying harder, it's not by disciplining ourselves, it's not by wallowing in guilt, but by right now letting all of that stuff go, saying no to that voice of guilt and shame and fear and all of that, and coming boldly to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I know you love me not because of what I do for you, but because of what you've done for me. And I'm trusting this week in your Holy Spirit to change me, to help me to believe in your definition of good and evil, and help me to obey your definition of good and evil too. So as the band comes back on, um, we're gonna transition into a time of communion. And so we have four tables around the auditorium. There's right here, right here, and then, and then two closer to the back. And so here's what, here's what I want you to do. Um, we're gonna play, we have about 15 minutes left. We're gonna play three more songs. And during these songs, as soon as Matt and the band start playing this first song, um, communion has, has started, okay? And what I want you to do is on these tables, there's these, uh, these trays, and, uh, and I'll ask the people to go now to, to, um, to take the trays off and uh, uncover them. And in the trays, there's, there's a double cup. One has juice and one has a wafer in it. And um, whenever you feel ready, again, nobody's gonna say, okay, now it's time to go and, uh, and take the elements. Whenever you feel like you're prepared in your heart, um, you can go and you can take the, the cup of juice and the, the cup with the wafer in, uh, the wafer in it underneath it, and take it, and there's not gonna be anybody at the table. Just take it back to your seat, and then have a moment of thanking God for his forgiveness, for taking God's judgment for us, and thanking God and asking him to continue empowering you with the spirit to be the good person, to be the God-glorifying person, the image bearer of God that you were created to be. So as you feel ready, um, examine your heart, confess any sin that you need to confess. If there's anybody here that you have conflict with, your spouse, family member, a friend, you can go and apologize to them, be reconciled with them right now. You can text them right now and say, hey, I was wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me, let's talk later. Um, but, but make that right before the Lord and then come and celebrate the forgiveness, the love, and the power that we have in Christ. If you need anybody or want anybody to pray with you, if you have something on your heart that's weighing you down right now, then uh, there's gonna be elders that are on the sides here, uh, on this side and, and that side, 
that would love to, to pray with you, to listen to you, to talk with you. So again, as you're ready, go and you can take the elements, take it back to your seat. And then we're not gonna have somebody saying, okay, take it all on three. Just take it when you're, take it in your seat individually as you're ready. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, again, we couldn't be more thrilled that you're here. Um, we invite you just to use this time as a time of reflection. Think about your sin. Think about God's judgment. Think about God's love. Think about what Jesus has done for us and consider how God might want you to respond to that.